0: Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Tag, you're it. Google's threat analysis group discovers iOS exploit chain. Next up, you down with RDP. Microsoft patched two new major security flaws. And finally, betting on the incorrect horse battery staple. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 25, recorded on September 9th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey Ajabwell pun label with me co-host Tarek Hacken-The-Gibson-Sala, and, and last but not least, Chad Droptable-Anderson. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're
0: welcome, Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we have three different articles to get into today as usual. So let's just get right into it and start with TAG, you're it. So earlier this year, Google's Threat Analysis Group, aka TAG, discovered a small collection of hacked websites. The hacked sites were being used in uh, indiscriminate watering hole attacks against their visitors using iPhone O days or zero days. So Based on Tag's write-up, simply visiting the hack site was enough for the exploit server to attack one's device, and if successful, install a monitoring implant. So Tag estimates that these sites receive thousands of visitors per week. So we're going to just start off here with Tarek, and I'd love to get a brief overview of this iOS exploit chain.
2: Yeah, so this one's uh, this one's actually pretty serious. Um, you know, we usually see in the news um, seems weekly uh, malware or exploits coming out for Android platforms, um, but we don't get a lot of attention on the iOS side for various reasons. Um, so this one's uh, this one's a, a pretty big deal. What was uh, written up by uh, Google's Threat Analysis Group was a total of uh, five different iOS exploits, and it affected. Uh, pretty much every version of iOS uh, from 10.0 all the way up to .12. Um, So that affects a a lot of different devices, and the scope of this is pretty huge. And each of these five uh, iOS exploits all come with their own CVE, Um, and just to be clear, they're all extremely uh, responsibly disclosed to uh, Apple, albeit uh, kind of with an aggressive timeline. I noticed that uh, there was a seven-day responsible disclosure, which is really, really aggressive. Usually the turnaround time is generally, uh, you know, 90 days. So um, whether getting into whether that's uh, the right way to approach it or if there's some biases uh, coming out from Google's team, Uh, clearly there is a business conflict between Android and Apple. So not to get too, uh, too into that, but I think that's kind of interesting. But these actual iOS exploits are all relatively the same concept, which are, unauthenticated remote code execution, which is probably the worst of the worst type of vulnerability you can have. This is, uh, like you said earlier, this is uh, somebody with um, a updated, in this case during this time frame, this was like an updated device generally, uh, would navigate a specific website and this code would execute and an implant would get dropped on it. So what was also pretty interesting too is Google stated these exploits and the implants associated with it um, affected thousands of users every day. Um, and Apple's official statement, uh, which is released pretty recently, uh, stated this is like a really targeted campaign. Um, and I'm going to butcher the name. So I very much apologize affecting the YuGir people um, and then maybe mispronouncing that. Uh, but that's a group of people that have really been in, involved in like a lot of conflict with uh, the Chinese government. So um, I don't think it'd be outrageous to make the assumption that the Chinese government may be behind uh, the authors of the attack. Uh, so something to kind of consider on like the TTPs, the motivations behind the attack, too. Um, yeah.
0: Thank you. That was a fantastic synopsis there. And um, in the, the post, and the write-up itself, Tag mentioned that the attackers gained unsandboxed code execution as root on iPhones. How did they go about this?
2: Yeah, so that one's, uh, that one's really interesting. Um, Google has a really solid write-up for each of the five... Uh, unauthenticated RCEs and CVEs associated with it um, on their site, uh, or excuse me, not on their site, on their uh, Project Zero blogspot. So I highly encourage people that are really into how uh, unsandboxed code uh, or, sorry, root code execution was achieved outside of the sandbox, I encourage them to dive deep into each of these because each of them have some slight uh, variances. Um, but they're pretty detailed too. Google uh, Google Zero team, they do a phenomenal job of their detailed write-ups.
0: Absolutely, and we are not going to get into all five of those because I think we would take <laughs> quite a while, so do feel free to look those up. Um, they will be included in the link in our blog post on domaintools.com slash resources slash blog. Um, so... What I want to dive deep into is the implant teardown. So what is the primary focus or goal around this?
2: Yeah, so uh, it's really interesting. Um, As advanced as a lot of these exploits, uh, chains and these exploits are, um, at the end of the day, um, a lot of malware exhibits the same behavior, um, which is collecting personal data. And this uh, specific implant is no different. Um, So Ian Beer did a really phenomenal write-up on the implant itself. Um, and although the code itself was compiled and there's no source code available, Ian did a phenomenal job at taking a look at the behavior of the implants, right? So when we don't have source code uh, and we want to analyze malware, one of the most common things to do is take a look at it behaviorally, meaning what happens when I execute it and I have sensors and instrumentation that can kind of capture behavioral data. What we see with this one is uh, pretty straightforward and we see it with a lot of Android malware um, as, as well. So Things like uh, reading the local SQLite uh, databases to collect iMessage data, to collect... um, And and in this case, uh, Ian uh, noticed uh, some really interesting behavior on other uh, uh, non-out-of-the-box messaging platforms like Telegram and uh, Google Hangouts and Gmail. Um, uh, Those were two other uh, messaging platforms that were also specifically targeted by this implant. And these were all uh, collected and uh, submitted over to the C2. So essentially, the way the attack worked is, uh, any person that visits any, uh, you know, the specific uh, watering hole site in question, um, the exploit would, uh, the exploit code would run on their machine, um, and then the implant would be dropped, and then um, a beacon would come out about every 60 seconds um, based on the behavior, and that beacon would contain uh, inside of its payload. Um, your contact information, uh, metadata about the phone itself, like what version you have, what your you know, um, unique SIM card is, uh, and uh, all of your um, contact information and messages and all this very personal data. One thing that I thought was really interesting too um, with this implant is that it also collects your Google OAuth token data too. So one of the nasty things you can do with that, if I have that OAuth token, um, I can actually authenticate to any Google service or any service um, that uses Google for authentication. Meaning like, let's say you have a um, a doctor and you want to look up your medical stuff and they use Google for authentication. Once I have that token, I can authenticate on your behalf and access your account. Um, pretty serious stuff.
0: Yeah, that is very serious. Thank you again for framing that and, and giving us a little bit more insight. And uh, I also wanted to get a breakdown, maybe, of Ian Beer's write up in terms of the actual code that he uh, surfaced.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I encourage everybody to once again go to uh, googleprojectzero.blogspot. Um, you could see the implant teardown on there. Um, and Ian does a phenomenal job of writing up um, or actually visualizing a lot of the data being captured, too. So you could see. Um, the data being captured and posted in flight. Um, and you could see a lot of the SQL uh, queries that are being made uh, on that the implant is doing and the data that it's capturing. Um, so the, the write-up is very phenomenal. Um, I uh, we would actually use it as like a good baseline too for people that are into malware analysis, so like a good template of what to look for and how to uh, do a good write-up.
0: That's great, and you mentioned uh, malware just then, and we've talked about too this nuance between what malware is and what an implant are. So would you mind describing sort of the the detail between those different pieces of terminology?
2: Yeah, so absolutely. Um, So implant and malware, um, and I'm gonna give my like subjective opinion based on my experience in InfoSec. Um, When I hear implants, Implant and malware, I think they're very interchangeable. I think it really comes down to who, uh, what role or what the context is of the person talking about it. So, for example, um, I hear the word implants and see the word implant being used heavily for offensive security-minded individuals, Um, meaning let's say uh, I'm doing a pen test of my company's network um, and I want to generate um, some malicious code, and I'm going to use that with air quotes here. to run on, um, uh, you know, one of the devices I compromised to kind of, you know, do my pen test. Um, now, it's not technically malicious code in the sense that um, I, you know, am an authorized person uh, who's conducting a pen test. It's not a third party who does not work in my company. So it's not really malicious. Uh, and that's where you see kind of like the, the wording uh, of implants being used. Now, um, that's a kind of a red team-focused one. Uh, As a blue teamer, me personally, I generally refer to these things as malware. And in this context, I would probably, if I was doing the write-up, call it malware. Um, But this is also my subjective opinion on it. Um, There's a lot of ways to do it. I don't think any terminology is wrong either.
0: And I think, Chad, when we talked about this initially, you mentioned that that's a fairly new, or even Tarek, fairly new terminology you've seen come up fairly recently. So thank you for that, again, that context there and your two cents. Um, and the final question I'll ask on this particular conversation topic is, what are the implications of the exploit? And I noticed that you've already given us a little bit of fear, <laughs> more than a little bit. So what, <laughs> yeah. what do you think?
2: so So um, first off, I think this is a nice reminder that um, although iOS is objectively more secure of a platform than Android, it's still not exempt from malicious code. It's still not exempt. Um, it's a just a nice wake-up call, right? Because um, it's been a long time since uh, we've seen uh, kind of a weaponized iOS exploit kind of get this much public attention. Um, also, I encourage everybody to read up and follow the iOS jailbreak community um, because that is also technically malicious code and exploits being used Um, albeit for like a different purpose, right, to kind of customize and bypass some of the iOS features and kind of sideload your own. But the concept's still the same, you know. If you jailbreak a phone, you're technically using an exploit. So um, iOS devices are not exempt at all um, from exploitation or compromise. But this one was a good wake-up call and reminder of that.
0: Thank you, Tarek. And we're going to get into our hoodie rating here. And just as a quick reminder, our hoodie rating is on a scale of – Man, the scale doesn't really exist, I suppose. We like to have some fun here. But the idea being, you know, if you hear 10 out of 10 hoodies, you should hopefully be sprinting um, to your your command station. Just going to overuse the military uh, vocabulary just to fit in here in the InfoSec community. Um, <laughs> and then zero being... You know, this is not something necessarily to be concerned with, et cetera. And so, of course, we do get into goodies, too, because things can get a little bit fuzzy on good and bad. So we like to have some fun, but that's some general ground rules around hoodie scoring. So, Chad, I'm going to start with you as I point at you aggressively across the table. (laughs) (laughs) What would you rate this particular exploit
1: you know, I would get. I would say that uh, because so many people assume that iOS is uh, so secure, um, you know, and just the severity of this, and it is a remote code execution vulnerability. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a big deal, um, and that now it's all out there, um, and the write-ups are so well done um, that I would rate this nine out of ten. Like people should be uh, updating their phones. You know,
0: they should be concerned. Yeah, Is you should always game. update your phone, but you should definitely, <laughs> definitely update your phone. Definitely this time. I yeah. <laughs> Is the S in iOS, does that stand for secure?
1: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Tarek, how about you?
2: Uh, I'm going to give this one 10 out of 10 uh, hoodies or 10 out of 10 Gibsons. Uh this one's I, I and totally mirroring what Chad said. He explained it perfectly. You know, this is an unauthenticated remote code execution on a device that you know has a high bar for security, to be frank. And so if this isn't and this is a mobile device too, where um you know mobile devices are kind of like the gateway to our personal data. Um so I can't think of uh a better um, you know, reason to give this a nine out of ten, ten out of ten. So um Yeah, ten out of ten on the uh, on the badness scale, Um, and um, I would give this like a solid, you know, eight out of ten on the uh, good scale. Um, It was, you know, unfortunately, it was weaponized and used against a certain type of people for, you know, obviously horrible things. However, um, you know, good on Google for finding it. Uh, Good on good on Google for reporting it. Um, I'd give them ten out of ten. I'm just, uh, you know, unless I misread something, I believe it was seven days. I think that's r- uh, for responsible disclosure, um, and I think that's really, really aggressive. Um, I, you know, After doing responsible disclosure, being on the receiving end of that uh, uh, with uh, one of my previous companies for a couple of years, um, that's a lot of effort to do. That's a lot of effort on the back end for coordinating, because you have to muster up resources to understand the problem. You have to uh, develop code to remediate the problem, and you have to... Um, you know, get it pushed to production, right? And that's a lot of work and a lot of like randomizations on the weekend. And, you know, so there's a lot of people that were really affected by the very aggressive deadline of seven days. Um, But I also understand the alternative too. You want to make the company take it seriously and push it seriously. So, you know, there's no right or wrong there. Um, So I give it eight out of 10 on the good scale.
0: Can I just say excellent use of mustering, a word that is not used Enough, I would argue, (laughs) in any conversation. A delicious condiment, too. A delicious condiment. Would you like some mustering with your ketchup? (laughs) Um, I'm also like my eighth grade dare education, I feel like, is coming back to me like a gateway drug, but gateway to your personal identifiable (laughs) information. I don't know what we can do with that, but there's a joke there somewhere, and I urge you all to make it in your own head.
1: To keep kids off iPhones.
0: There you go. We'll make some keychains. It'll be okay. Um, Okay, so perfect. Let's just muster our way. I didn't use that right, but I just wanted to use it. Um, And to our next discussion, which is you down with RDP. So Microsoft patched two new major security flaws in the Windows desktop services package. So these two vulnerabilities are similar to the vulnerability known as Blue Keep, CVE 2019-0708, I know you all remember that number and know exactly what I'm talking about, gotta love it. Um, So Microsoft patched Bluekeep in May and warned that attackers could abuse it to create wormable attacks that spread from one computer to another without user interaction. So it appears the CVE 2019-1181 and 1182 are wormable as well as reside in the Windows Remote Desktop Services package, AKA RDS. So, Chad, what versions of Windows are affected with all these bugs and CVEs and numbers I just threw out everyone's uh, ear?
1: So, pretty much all versions are affected. The initial BlueKey vulnerability from May affected up through Server 2008, um, but the two new vulnerabilities, which have been nicknamed Deja Blue.
0: I think I've heard of that one.
1: Yeah. Um, They affect all versions up through Windows 10. So, basically, this affects all Windows desktop users.
0: Cool, and shifting over from our last discussion that we just had, Why is this exploit so concerning, even compared to the iOS exploit chain that Tarek just terrified us with, with all of his knowledge? You and your knowledge, Tarek, scaring people.
1: (laughs) Uh, So as, as Microsoft mentioned, this is a vulnerable vulnerability, so meaning no interaction from any user is required for it to spread. Um, and desktop vulnerabilities of this kind are always a little more concerning to me uh, than a mobile equivalent for a few reasons. Um, one, there isn't as much sandboxing or isolation or general security as you get on a lot of mobile um, operating systems as you have on the desktop. Um a lot of people don't follow even the most basic security practices with their desktop machine. Uh, we on the mobile phone. They don't even have to think about it. You know, Google and Apple are doing AV work for you in their app stores. Uh, you know, there's firewalls that are built in. Uh, logins are requiring two-factor two auth by default more and more. Uh, there's specific permissions for applications to even be able to access system calls. So a compromise requires a lot more hoops to jump through. And then secondly, updates for mobile phones are pushed and sometimes even forced by the manufacturers now. So, you know, for some reason, um, people update their mobile phones more. I don't know what it is. There's something psychological with our... Desktop machines. I don't know about you, but I will kick updates down the road sometimes just because I want, uh you know, to be able to get some more work done uh, through the day, and I, I don't have time to sit there and reboot my machine. Um, where with my mobile phone, as soon as something pops up, I think, oh, that night, you know, what new feature am I going to get? I'm going to you know turn it on, and uh, what's my phone going to be able to do tomorrow that it wasn't able to <laughs> do today, you know? Uh, and then and lastly, the barrier to entry for uh, vulnerabilities on the desktop are usually a little bit lower. Um, in the case of these latest iOS bugs, you know, it requires some knowledge of how to set up a server that will attack uh, victims or, you know, bring them in. Um, and some knowledge usually of how to package up malicious APKs, say, in the in the case of Android malware. Um, and at least some knowledge of the security features that are present on phones and how to circumvent them. So the this Microsoft uh, RDP attack is just a lot more low-hanging fruit, which is what um, a lot of crimeware and uh, attackers look for, you know.
0: That response... Wormed my heart.
1: Mm. That's
0: <laughs> you hear that hallmark. I've got a card for you. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. That was a yeah. great response. I really appreciate it. And I think the question we're all asking ourselves is, why do we need to care about this?
1: Yeah. Um, well, in a world of vulnerability and uh, leak fatigue, uh, so the um, the. Even though it hasn't been seen in any widespread attacks yet, uh, a Metasploit module came out over this last weekend, which means the barrier to entry is even lower. Um, Pretty much anyone can do it. So it's only a matter of time, I think, before this is bundled into some commercial hacking tools and pretty much anyone out there can leverage it. You know, anyone can run a Metasploit module.
2: Great. And if I can inject too, uh, I think it's a good opportunity for researchers and people that are curious to set up a, a vulnerable honeypot for this too. Since we have it now weaponized, and we have uh, a lot of nice like honeypot frameworks out there, um, it's a good opportunity to kind of see what threat actors uh, what they're doing with this vulnerability. You know,
1: so it's kind of funny. One of the things that uh, Metasploit uh, mentioned when they released the module is that, or Rapid7 rather, that if the if an IDS detects the attack and cuts it off um, while it's happening, it forces it, a crash on the target machine. So um, it, it may actually lead to, um, yeah, if you have some high interaction honeypots, they'll just be rebooting. That'll be how you know someone's <laughs> there. Um, yeah. Nice.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So what, what can we do? How do we mitigate this or prevent something like this in
1: the future? Yeah, so uh, Microsoft released that people should do network-level authentication. um, That's recommended. An attacker would need to authenticate before they could exploit it. Um, I'd argue that RDP should always be blocked externally anyways. Um, I understand some people out there need to manage their boxes uh, over RDP, and they should do that by leveraging a bastion host or network of some kind that would restrict incoming connections to just that host or management network. It's that extra layer of defense and depth and complexity that will save you in the end.
0: I think so. Yeah, on so many levels. <laughs> Good life advice too. Good life advice. Yeah,
1: <laughs> always.
0: All right. Well, let's jump then into the hoodie ratings. Thank you again, Chad. That was a, a great detailed deep dive. Um, and I'll start with you, Tark. What would you rate this? What would you rate this at?
2: You know, this one's pretty bad too. Um, I put it relatively in the same bucket as the iOS uh, exploits that we just previously talked about. So I'm going to give this one, um, you know, nine out of ten uh, on the badness scale. Um, This one's pretty bad, uh, especially, you know, uh, compounding what Chad was talking about earlier, how you can just hop on Shodan and, you know, arbitrarily find probably a decent amount of unpatched hosts. Um, So from an impact point of view, um, you know, looking at the scope too, this might actually even be a little bit higher. I know I gave the iOS one ten, but maybe this is an 11 because the scope is much larger, right? Um, There's data out there showing that the scope for the iOS stuff was a little bit smaller than you know, uh, previously reported. But this one, I think we can objectively data-wise say this one's pretty huge. I haven't seen the numbers, though, but I imagine it's in the hundreds, if not thousands.
0: That's a pretty significant impact. What do you, what do you think, Chad?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd put it in the same boat, the 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. I hopped onto Shodan and just looked around and, you know, one of the things there's so many machines on there that are um have rdp open and they're going to be unpatched today and they'll probably be unpatched still a year from now because that's just the way it is people those are forgotten machines that are just sitting out there on the internet you know people don't even know they're vulnerable
0: the forgotten um, machines the forgotten
1: machines oh. yeah it's someone's shadow it in a basement somewhere that <laughs> you know, uh, that uh just yeah it's just sitting there humming away waiting to be exploited so um yeah i'd give it a 10 out of 10 it's worrying
0: I appreciate your optimism. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump into our final talking point here. This one actually brings me a great deal of sadness. This is one of my favorite things that exists on the internet. So betting on the incorrect horse battery staple. So XKCD, one of the most popular webcomic platforms known for its geeky tech humor, yes, and other science-laden comic strips on romance, sarcasm, math, and language, has suffered a data breach exposing data of its forum's users. Um, And if people aren't familiar, this title is based on one of their fantastic comics about passwords, and I'd highly recommend that you look at it. I'll be sure it's linked in the blog. Uh, But let's start with you, Tarek. What, What happened here? Um, how was this breach discovered, and was it how was it carried out?
2: Yeah, so um, the breach was initially reported through uh, Troy Hunt as a pretty cool service, um, and I think it's pretty well known. It's a site called Have I Been Pwned? Um, and it's a service that um, you could set up notifications for domains or uh, sources of uh, passwords, um, and then if you have a match, like for example, um, let's say your Twitter account gets uh, breached and the password gets uploaded to the service, you can get a notification saying, hey, your Twitter account um, has been breached, and you can go ahead and take the appropriate response um, as, a, as a consumer of the platform. Uh, so something similar happened with XKCD. Um, the um, actual database with uh, over 562,000 accounts uh, were breached. Um, I have not seen any data to show how it was done, um, or but you know my theory. Since this is a PHP-based uh, uh, application using the PHPB or PHPBB uh, forum software, if I were a gambling man, I'd say this is like, probably like an unpatched uh, vulnerability that uh, uh, was exploited to dump the database. Um, that's my guess. I don't have any data to prove that, um, but that's kind of. You know that's a very common platform, and that gets compromised pretty often. Um, just hop hop on over to like exploit DB, and you can see all kinds of great stuff for it.
1: What's uh, nice is you yeah. are a gambling man, so we can uh, note that that PHPBB <laughs> is for the record. In fact, <laughs> 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 that's true. I've seen you in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that yeah.
0: was you just your crats. betting whether or not you would say that, Chad.
2: <laughs> We're all betting people. You know. <laughs> um, and a uh, side note too, I really, as like somebody who did a lot of incident response over the years. I really shout out to the admins of XKCD. Um, if you go to their forum, as of now, the forum is still down. Um, uh, you know, this is part of like the incident response life cycle, where you know uh, they may not know what happened, but in order to contain the problem, they have to turn off the forums, and that makes total sense from an IR perspective. I'm really glad they're doing that. It shows they take security seriously. They take the breach seriously. Um, you know, there it's it's kind of a challenge for IR folks because uh, you know we don't want to tell the business to turn off, you know, whatever the business makes money off of. But at the same time, we want to protect data. So I'm glad XKCD is doing it the right way there.
0: Absolutely. And Chad, have there been any delightful PII spills this past <laughs> week that you also want to bring to light?
1: Oh, yes. It always uh, it continues. I believe I said the last time I was on that life's a breach. Um, and that's just <laughs> the way that it is now. There's XKCD, the uh, MasterCard German rewards program, um, was leaked some 86,000 or 85,000 um, users there. And then Facebook had a huge breach as well. Several more forums were reported on Have I Been Pwned. So um, it's gotten so bad that I actually used a leak recently to figure out one of my old addresses that I needed for an application (laughs) uh, because I'd forgotten what the address was. So there is a use in all these.
0: A silver lining.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And the most important question I'll ask maybe ever on this podcast is, what is your favorite XKCD comic starting with Tarek?
2: You know, uh, so there's a couple of them. I, uh, so the horse battery staple, that comic kind of single-handedly changed how people look at passwords and password complexity, right? It almost kind of set a standard. So you got to appreciate that. Like one comic had a huge impact. Uh, the other one is like the – once again, like Bobby Tables, right? <laughs> that one really brought to light what SQL Injection is in a funny
1: way. So uh, both of them are amazing. Can I pick two? I'm going to yes. pick two. Yes,
0: I'll accept it. The committee accepts. Jed.
1: I, I'm going to take two as well, because I love little Bobby drop tables. Um, no, you don't
0: get a chocolate bar. That's not how this works. But, uh, yeah. Oh, it's take five. Sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other one that I love is the uh, the graph on what it takes to automate something, and the amount of time that you spend writing the automation script, um, it's, that always cracks me up as well. So
2: That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Another nomination is the Python uh, management
2: one, too. And it's just like a spaghetti diagram of installing Python and managing virtual environments. So, shout out to that one, third place winner.
0: I'm going to insert my opinion here. Um, I really love the comic where one of the characters is talking about the definition of insanity, and the other character says, People talk about that all the time, but does it change anything? And that just gets me every time. Well, I can't think of a better note to end on than great comics. I'll make sure I link those two. Great recommendations by you both. Shout out to Randall. I know you listen to our podcast, obviously. It brings you so much inspiration. So um, just, just know we love you. <laughs> Good luck with the forms. We're here for you, buddy. Um, and yeah, so thank you both so much for this week. Chad, thanks for filling in for Emily. We really appreciate it. Tarek, love having you on as always. And we'll be back here next week with some more badness to break. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at domaintools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com resources podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.